Welcome to What's Your Beef? Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and this is What's Your Beef? Shannon Spate and Emma Black are quintessential modern women. Young professionals willing and able to make meaningful change, young children running around their feet as they launch a new business and of course plenty of volunteer hours on the industry they are most passionate about, beef. Emma and Shannon come from vastly different backgrounds but both have landed in far north Queensland to work in the beef industry. Identifying the challenges around one of the biggest bugbears for many producers, the concept of data and what to do with it or how to manage it. The women have come up with an incredible business idea aimed at getting the most out of the D word. They are also both on Beef Australia's Next Gen Committee. In fact, Shannon is the chair and have had a lot of fun getting some of the events ready for next year's event. I caught up with Emma and Shannon in the far north a couple of weeks ago. Okay, ladies, you are you really could be considered, well, are considered the golden girls of the modern beef industry, really. You've got so many different hats in so many different ways. Shannon, we'll start with you. How did you first get involved in the beef industry? Um, I guess my first involvement in the beef industry was uh, after three years of university in Sydney studying vet science, I deferred and went up to the Northern Territory to work as a ringer on one of the stations just outside of Catherine. Um, and do. yeah, <laughs> my parents love that. That was a very, very steep learning curve for someone straight out of the city um, at the start of the live export ban to work on a cattle station and get absolutely everything wrong for the first three months. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting time, but I absolutely fell in love with it out after that. Uh, stayed for another year, met my husband up there, um, and then have have just fallen in love with the industry ever since. So when you when you were studying vet, were large animals or bovines sort of in your realm, or was it a different kind of vet interest? Yeah, so I was definitely interested in working with cattle, but um, there is a saying that no cattle vets come out of the University of Sydney, and <laughs> I'm probably one of the only people in my in my grade that ended up working in the beef industry, let alone the northern beef industry. So that's what I recognise is that I wasn't learning anything about the industry that I wanted to work in, and something had to change. I needed to get on the ground experience. And when you, you know, I'd say, as you just alluded to, your parents would have been terrified sending you up to the, the great un unwashed in the Northern Territory. So you said it was pretty rough. Well, well, not rough, but interesting. Expand on that a little. Like, you know, that's a fairly big culture shock. Yeah. So I basically, uh, yeah, got up there, had uh, no money in my bank account as, as you do at that age, um, a swag and and a hat that was apparently way too small for the territory. So it, was a, it was a southern hat, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was a sheep talkies <laughs> hat, apparently, um, which I didn't know. I thought I thought I looked great, um, but after... I reckon that's one of the hardest things to learn, though. And even though my husband's only from southern Queensland, when he came north, like there's there's the hat iron hats not. Oh man! Um, but it is. It's a it's a whole different, you know initiation that yeah and I would pay anyone to break in my hat for me because there's nothing the only thing worse than a new southern hat is a new northern hat that clearly is like just came out of the mailbox so yeah that was probably one of the first learning curves um 
But I always always laugh with the managers that took me on there because I clearly lied on my resume um, about my ability for everything. You know, I I said I could ride a horse. I really couldn't. I said I could work cattle. I definitely couldn't. So it was it was all about learning that and um, became fairly handy towards the end. I still don't think I'd be the best ringer um, or make the all stars team for the managers. But um, yeah, we got. We got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. Emma, what about you? How was your start? So I grew up on a property west of Longreach but with sheep um, and then went away to study livestock science down at UNE at Armidale and then always had a passion to come back to the north and particularly for animal nutrition and wanting to learn more about that. So I took on a sales and consulting role in Charters Towers um, for a while and then got involved with the Australian Intercollegiate Meat Judging Association and coached the Australian National Meat Judging Team for a while, which led me to want to learn more about that processing end of the supply chain. I just want to go back a step because, you know, you don't sort of as a young person don't always sort of leave school and go, I want to do meat judging. So how how did you, what made you take that step? So I was a gazing member at the of butcher the... one day and just <laughs> looking at all those prime cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a member of the university meat judging team um, and went on to be a member of the Australian meat judging team as a student and then just stayed involved in that committee. Um, I guess that program is one of the biggest programs in Australia, promoting and educating young graduates to enter the meat and livestock industries. So I stayed involved with that for a number of years and, um, yeah, got to travel with the team to the US. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? <laughs> so this led me to want to learn more about that end of the supply chain. So I took on an abattoir management graduate program in Rockhampton for a while, which um, I loved and got to learn all the jobs from the yards right through to loadout for a beef beef processing company. Okay. And now, you know, that's where you sort of stopped that part. But then, of course, you went on to work for the department as well. So what were you doing for DAF? So I loved my time at the abattoir, but realised what I've always been passionate about was working with producers and wanting to help them. So I took what I learnt there and headed back out to northwest Queensland and have spent spent nine years out there working with producers, both on and off-farm, and through research and adoption projects with DAF, so looking at nutrition and pasture management and whole of business management right through to their carcass data. And now you both were here for Beef Australia and you're both on the Next Gen Committee, which is such a young and fun thing for you. <laughs> so what? how did you get involved with, with Beef? So I've attended the last two Beef um, Weeks, which... I have absolutely loved um, and then Shannon asked me to be on the committee with her this year the next gen committee for Beef Australia and that's been amazing being able to organize some programs and events for the next gen coming through and really drive what we can achieve with that program. Okay and now Shannon I'm got, I am going to divert to you a little as chair of the next gen committee what are, what are we expecting from the 21 event? Yeah, well, lots of exciting things that we've been organising with the Next Gen Committee. Obviously, we're focusing on the the next generation, um, and that's a fairly broad term, I think, in the beef industry. Um, But we've got... What are they, 45? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but we've got a fantastic international committee, um, you know, not just from Queensland, from all over Australia and New Zealand, actually. So um, it's been really exciting working on the on these on these projects and events with the team. We've got a number of events from uh, forums and social events. Obviously, the Hats and Heels is always the hot event um, from the Next Gen Committee, but we've also got some really exciting and entertaining events like the Young Farmers Challenge, uh, really getting out there and, and showcasing the industry to a wide range of, of people and audiences and getting them involved. So what what can we expect exactly? Like, can you let us know some of the the new events or the new features? You mentioned the Young Farmers Challenge, and that was pretty entertaining last time. But what- yeah, so we've got a fantastic team heading up the Young Farmers Challenge, and that'll be really exciting. Getting uh, basically school students and and young professionals involved in different aspects of of the beef industry, and what they can expect from a career in the beef industry. Uh, we've got a an event for the evening for I guess the older of the of the next gen generation called Catalyst and that's really focusing on uh, I guess culture and communication within the beef industry which is obviously one of the big pieces and got some fantastic speakers for that. We've also got the uh, Next Gen Forum, which we've got uh, some international guests lined up for and a fantastic panel full of young people, uh, really about how to get involved in the industry, making, making a good start and making, making their mark on the industry as well. And then Hats and Heels, obviously the big event for the finisher. Yeah, of um, course. <laughs> when everyone can let their hair down um, and I'm sure we'll be ready to let our hair down too by then. Yeah, no doubt. What's the key to engaging the, the next generation? Because, you know, so many industries are looking for the silver bullet um, but, you know, for a lot of young people sitting and listening to a seminar isn't exactly top of the bucket list but I guess if their engagement in the industry is enough then, of course, it's exciting. So what do you see as your main yeah, challenges. well, I, I completely agree with you. There's, I guess there's there's the seminars that you can go to that can um, put you in a bit of snooze mode. But I guess the, the people that we've got lined up, we're really focused on being action items that people can take away from it. Like whether it's starting their own business and how to financially get to that point where they can buy their own farm or being a young farm manager and how to deal with with, uh, you know, with staff that are potentially older than you or conflict and stuff like that. I think there's really key actions that anybody in the beef industry, especially those young people, can take away. Mm-hmm. No, I th- and look, um, this is probably to both of you. I've been speaking to a couple of old beef beefos from, from DAF, but saying that um, the younger generation, they're seeing this terrific uptake in a lot of land management practices and, you know, different kind of technologies that, that weren't well, the uptake is better this generation than last generation and they're finding like a really refreshing sort of um, attitude towards agriculture. Would you say that that's the case? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think one of the best things we can do for these next-gen um, producers is provide them with these opportunities to network with some people and create these networks, which we're trying to achieve at Beef and allow them to get to know some people that have more experience than them and different skills than them so they can develop some mentors and get some support around them to help them implement a lot of these new practices. You two have both had a tremendous uh, opportunities with mentors. Um, you're both uh, Xander McDonald um, recipients. What role did those kind of experiences play for you? 
Yeah, so mentors have had a massive role in my career and in my life. And I think a mentor can definitely teach you way more than any course or book. And I guess it takes a while to find a mentor, but once you've got a good one, you can build up a really trusting relationship and an honest relationship. And they not only teach you things, but they help you to apply what you've learnt back into your business or your industry. Um, And they allow you to bounce ideas around and they tell you when your ideas are getting a bit crazy and if it's not going to (laughs) work. And do you think, you know, you can do certain um, courses or whatever or or meet different people and consider them a good mentor, but what's, how important is it to really, you know, be a bit ruthless and find someone who's A, going to be honest with you, but two, that you respect and there's that mutual respect where you just... How important is that? I think that's so important. And I think often some of the best mentors I've had have been ones where it wasn't a formal mentoring relationship that was set up. You've just got to know each other and you've got the same drive to change something in the industry and you want to see each other achieve that. And, um, yeah, but there's massive value in it. So when, because I think, you know, when people are learning or or starting some new uh, ideas or applying different things on their properties, it is that one-on-one learning that is so important and that, you know, that application. But then, of course, you know, we are more than one person and there's quite a few things to, to get around. How do you marry those two ideas up? Like how do you get some of these ideas out to, to more people? Yeah, and I, I guess there's a lot of ways, like there's a lot of forums and things that get the ideas out to industry but actually being able to put them into practice is where it probably falls down a bit and I definitely agree I think you need that one-on-one support. Um, Which is hard because people you know are probably more reluctant nowadays to sort of we're less social we're we're so busy and you know make the excuses to stay at home at work and not necessarily turn up to all of the fantastic field days and forums and things on offer so that's a really tricky um, bridge really isn't it to Yeah, and there's so much online now, and particularly over the last few months, everything's online, Um, and particularly meetings and seminars, it's all online. You can watch it when it's recorded at a later stage. How important is it for the beef industry? And we're going to focus on the next gen because you're both, you know, members of that particular era, to reach out and really get some new ideas from from a vast array of sources. Is that more or less difficult now when we've got, you know, as you, as you say, meetings are all fairly one-on-one and, and um, that sort of thing? I think it's a lot easier now because, I mean, um, there's so many different ways you can connect with people. We're, we're big fans of LinkedIn. Just add somebody that you think is doing something interesting, hit them up for some advice and then start a relationship. That's what we do on a weekly basis, basically. And I think there's, yeah, there's limitations about, you know, how many field days you can attend and whether you can go to somebody's property, but don't underestimate, you know, forms of social media. And generally, especially in the beef industry, everyone's willing to help each other out. You know, a rising tide really does lift old boats and um, I think that's certainly what we've found and that's what I encourage anybody to do is, yeah, just just do a few cold emails, cold calls and hit up your own network and say, does anyone know how to do X, Y, Z? And expand upon that because, yeah, networks are a fantastic thing and, yeah, you can broaden your own through through those connections absolutely just be a bit brave now we're going to move on a little bit because you both you've both started a business together which is very exciting um black box co and that came out of a desire to to move the beef industry forward or give it some alternative ideas so can you explain that to us 
Yeah, so basically, I guess what I recognised throughout my career and particularly working on um, a genomics project more recently was that people were collecting enormous amounts of data, um, but it wasn't necessarily going anywhere. You know, it was sitting on their computer or on USBs and um, they'd never made any sense on it or done any analysis on it. And so that's where we really started with the idea is, okay, can we pull all this data together and make something useful? Can we talk to these multiple technologies that are out there, you know, creating data for us already from your Gallagher's to your true tests to your walkover weighing, put that information together so that a producer can use it? And I guess M comes from the other aspect of the supply chain um, to to introduce carcass and, and meat into it. So, yeah, I guess we saw real value in being able to tie those different segments of data back together. So everything from the carcass data, we can now link right back along the supply chain so we can look at how those animals were managed um, and why they received discounts at the meatworks and, and I guess really up, allow the producer to make more informed decisions going forward. You've discussed the, the amount of, of, of data that's being collected and not being used and, you, and how you can apply that. What's been the reaction when you've taken it back to industry with the – you've come up with a couple of – or three, four interfaces to – Yeah, so we've come up with four dashboards so far and we've got a number more that we're going to produce. But the feedback we've had so far has been overwhelming. There's been a massive amount of support for what we're doing and – We've got a lot of really good key industry partners that um, I guess we saw a lot of value in getting this into the hands of industry early because we really wanted to develop something that's going to help them. Um, And be practical. And be practical, yeah. Mm. So we run everything by them. It's being trialled on the ground um, and we build, you know, algorithms to generate the insights that they want to know. So we're able to pull pieces of data together from right along that supply chain um, and take it right back to the breeder level to help them make better decisions with genetics and management going forward. And it also can save them a lot of time. So they have to spend less amounts of time in the office sort of scrolling through spreadsheets, whereas now we can kind of instantly turn that data into insights to help them make decisions and the pressure is on to be more sustainable as an industry too and probably do less with more so how does that marry in with that idea we're really keen to address that and especially you know with our our target to be carbon carbon neutral by 2030 we see that data's got a huge piece to play with that because ultimately we're looking at either reducing methane emissions and um, upping the efficiency of animals and one way to do that is through selection of your most productive and efficient animals there's no point reducing the methane efficiency with a supplement and reducing the efficiency of your animals so that's huge and that all comes through data and I think that's what we're going to see in the future is that you have to make these in order to make these statements you have to back them up with data and it's going to be on an individual animal level. Yeah, and data, like you said, people aren't utilising it. We've been collecting it. And, you know, I can remember when the NLIS first came in and it was a massive industry backlash at the time and now it's so normalised. But through that, we have most producers will have quite a lot of data already. This isn't concepts like this isn't, you know, too out of this world. So the, the people who you've taken it to and the producers that are using it, are they using data already to the most the to the best of their ability 
Yeah, so a lot of the places have been yeah leveraging off the NLIS system and collecting data, but at the moment it hasn't it hasn't gone anywhere or spoken to other data. And I guess we've got a bit of a saying like, data can be like garbage, don't collect it unless you know where you're going to put it. Mm. And I think that that was what really drove our solution is finally we've got somewhere to put it that it speaks to other data and they can utilize it so what are you collecting what are you collecting you keep saying data and I guess you know what what exactly are you collecting so that that can be anything from weights to fetal aging to body condition scores lactation statuses um feedlot performance data um and all of the carcass data basically any production data that's collected right along the supply chain. Mm. We can ingest and turn it into the insights they want to know. And I guess we're not asking producers to change what they do and we can ingest that data from the hardware systems they already have. Mm. So a lot of them have been collecting data for a number of years um, and we're able to ingest that and look at the trends over time as well. And then we also have quite a few producers that come to us and say, I can see value in data and I want to collect it. This is what I want to work on in my business, but what data do I need to collect to achieve that? What about from Meatworks? Do you get do people get enough feedback from Meatworks as to the end product? Because ultimately that's, you know, where a lot of that supply chain information would come from. Yeah, so there's a standard carcass feedback um, data that they get from from the meatworks and also if they use the msa grading system they get even more data back as well but from that data we can see the price that was received um weight data we can work out yields and we can look at quality data as well Uh, so a lot of the producers you're working with northern or have you got a fairly good spread north and south no, most of them are northern. I guess we, we saw this as a, a bit of a area of neglect in the beef industry, potentially. I <laughs> uh, know sometimes we feel like that up north. And why not start in your own backyard with, with the people that we know have this issue um, and that have been asking for it? And traditionally so, up here, we haven't been collecting as much as some of our southern counterparts, just in, in terms of even breeds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things is like, probably the first thing that we get asked by southern producers how much data do they collect up here and there's still enormous amounts you know the 40 what 47 49 percent of the australian herd is in queensland and a lot's in these northern rangelands where they only see a human once a year or twice (laughs) a year for a muster and if you're collecting data points that's still valuable in terms of driving your whole enterprise and being able to manage it. So you're managing around all everybody's production systems. Yeah, yep. And that's that's important too because, you know, if you're going to say, right, this will only work if you, you know, do three rounds of mustering a year, you've, you've lost a pretty captive audience. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's about working with the data that they're already collecting mm. and turning that into something that's actually useful and making the time investment and the money investment that they put into that data capture back into the business in terms of that value proposition of saving money, making money and, and maximising productivity. Do you think with the next gen or, you know, a new generation of beef producers coming, do you find the emphasis that you have to perform as a business first and foremost before the rest of the chain comes in? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's more and more pressure on us now to perform as a business to survive going forward and I guess there's a lot more pressure on the industry now from the consumer end as well like they want to know that 
they're eating a healthy, safe product. Um, and there's a push from that end as well to get this data and certainly with the carbon emissions and everything going forward. Traceability. This would this surely help with traceability. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But I think generally in next gen, there's a lot more of a business mindset coming through the industry. Mm. What do you see is some of the other challenges for the beef industry? I think one of the biggest challenges, well, the goal that we've set ourselves is that carbon neutral by 2030. Um, and, you know, when, when companies like even BP is rebranding itself as a renewable energy company as, rather than just an oil company, like that's when you've got to realise this is real and we're going to have to do it, whether you like it or not. Um, and so I think that's going to be an enormous challenge. And, um, yeah, I think together with the technology that's coming out and new advances, we can get there, but it's going to take adoption um, and drive to get there. And how do you see that working? You, you know, you do a lot of you know, boots on the ground kind of work, so you'd be talking to people about this a lot. How do you see it being received? I think we've got an instinctive reaction to be quite defensive um, in the beef industry. And whether we like it or not, we're going to have to change. We, we can't keep producing an item that people don't want. Um, and we've got to listen to the consumers and when the consumers want something that's carbon neutral, we, we, we have to do it. You don't have a choice. There's also a push from certain beef processing companies now as well that they will only purchase beef that follows certain sustainability um, frameworks and practices. So that's going to be another push for us as well to improve our sustainability and management. You know, the emphasis is on the consumer now and that real demand right across the industry. We're not a great industry at, change, you know, adapting change on a broad scale level. We also, you know, you, you touched on it before when you were talking about the defensiveness of the industry and quite a lot of our messaging is always in a reactive way too. So, you know, as, as members of the beef industry and also our next gen committee, you know, how do you see that going into the future? Like, should we be more proactive as an industry at getting these good stories, at these innovations? Like, what does it take to, for us to, to champion ourselves a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I think we should be so much more proactive about our, our messaging. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we're proud to be in the beef industry. And I think pretty well anybody who is involved is proud to be in the beef industry. So we've got a lot of fantastic stories, you know. The Australian beef industry is largely a very sustainable, uh, you know, has excellent animal welfare. There are those few, few, uh, you know, odd sorts that kind of bring us down, but we need to champion all the people that are doing, doing well and doing right. We need to strive to those goals that we know consumers are going towards. So why, why don't we do it now? Like there are individual storytellers that do a fantastic job but as an industry surely there's some room for improvement yeah I think there there are places that are you know that are and people that are really trying to champion this I mean even in this podcast um but it is about getting out of our out of our little bubble and our social circle to connect across those lines and get the message out further you know we all know that the algorithms on social media and those kind of marketing means that all these positive positive messages that we're generating are probably just getting fed back to the beef community Mm. um so yeah wider messaging i think is important about being really proud of this fundamental industry for for australia there's all different kinds of leaders in the industry as well and i think being a 
a good leader or a champion for our industry isn't always about standing up in front of hundreds of people and and being heard by a lot of people but also within your own business and your local community and having influence that way as well and I think we're starting to see more and more programs to support these people coming through the industry and help them have a bit more of a voice but I mean just create more influence. Well, it's taxi conversations. Like you, you speak to one taxi driver or whatever, you can you, you can start with those smaller conversations. It doesn't always, you know, you don't have to be the chairman of the board to to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're got we're heading to Beef Twenty One, um, and obviously you two have quite quite a role down there on a number of fronts. But what are you looking forward to most? The thing I love the most with beef is the the networking and you can't walk 10 meters without running into someone you know and and catching up with people that you often get to speak to on the phone but you get to catch up with them and have a drink with them and discuss industry issues I guess I love learning some of the new things that are coming up in industry and going to some of the seminars but definitely the networks and catching up with everyone and building new networks is the highlight for me how do you choose? How do you get you get your you know? How do you choose where you're going? I always find that the challenge. Yeah, it's hard. I guess I've always gone with a group of people, and we tend to select different things. So we make sure we're kind of across everything, which I'm sure Shannon and I will do. We'll just make sure we're across each different event. Yeah, I I just love that we can celebrate the industry for a whole week. It's you know, it's the Mardi Gras of the beef industry. <laughs> But it's 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 amazing. It's fantastic to see, um, you know, everything from the stud side of things to the people. You've got such a mix and you've also got people visiting that aren't involved in the beef industry at all. And I think it's really important to, you know, champion the industry to them and um, get them involved and excited about it. Yeah, exactly. Now, as you know, everyone on this podcast has asked the same thing, which I'm sure <laughs> you're prepared for by the looks on your faces. You're both, you know, fairly career-driven. You've both got very young children. You know, things are being juggled now. So, you know, are you, are you cooks? No, I'm, I'm a really terrible cook, I'll are be you? honest. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty bad. <laughs> Is your husband any good? No. Nah, <laughs> well, he's a – I make the salad, he cooks the meat sort of family. Okay. Um, oh, that works. I don't know. I, I was going to go T-bone. Because I don't think you can, you can. It's very hard to get a bad T-bone. Mm. Um, but a corned beef done well, uh, slow cook. Yeah, you cannot white cannot sauce? beat a good corned beef. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with white sauce. I think that that's got to be mango chutney. My yeah. mum always made it with mango chutney, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what well, it's like the old lady beef cut, but it's <laughs> it's delicious. But it lasts for days because then you've got yeah. sandwiches and fritters. Like mm. I swear, my husband makes me make corned beef just for the fritters. Yeah, exactly. It's make. like the chicken, like the universal ingredient of the beef industry. Yeah. So, you can do it so many different ways. <laughs> what about you, Emma? Are you a cook? Yeah, I love to cook, but I've got a very good husband that helps a lot. But we're very similar, meat and veg during the week when we're busy but um I was gonna say rib fillet because we love it and we eat a lot of it but a favorite of mine which I hardly ever get to eat is slow cooked brisket yeah as well slow cooked like Asian sticky brisket or a smoked brisket or like a gravy brisket yeah it's very many there's variations there Emma (laughs) definitely (laughs) and you don't have a favorite one Mm, I'd say smoked I reckon. Smoke you one. Okay, well, Shannon and Emma, thank you so much for joining us on What's Your Beef? Thanks, Thank you.
Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.